Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today, as always, is Joe Healy, and we also have a special guest with us here to celebrate that it is opening week of college baseball. That's right, college baseball will be played for real later this week on, on Friday, also known as Valentine's Day. And so we're bringing in our Valentine, Mike Rooney. <laughs> well, technically that's not true, Teddy, but I appreciate the sentiment all, all, the, uh, all the more. But yes, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to say... Um, first-time caller, long-time listener. Like, that's what this really feels like. <laughs> yes, uh, Runes is a, a long-time listener. You, uh, you guys probably know of his work at ESPN uh, or perhaps on his radio show or maybe at Perfect Game uh, where, where he does some writing. But probably you see him the most during the NCAA tournament hosting bases loaded or, you know, in, in a booth for, for a super or on, a, on the sideline. Uh, in Omaha, and uh, in all cases, Mike Rooney is bringing the energy, and and that's what I guess what we're looking for today. I'm here, like I'm just gonna pretend like this is bases loaded, and I'm ready to to roll. <laughs> that was that was the greatest compliment ever given me. Chris Button, who uh, does an awesome job for ESPN, and she subbed in for Matt Chick one day last year in bases loaded, and her tweet was awesome. She said everyone should find something in their life that they love as much as Mike Rooney loves college baseball. And then she said, dot, dot, dot. For me, it's red wine. So I thought that was awesome. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is outstanding. Um, you know, Bases Loaded has really taken off. And, and you know, ESPN's coverage of the game has, has taken off. And I know you don't have assignments yet, but ESPN last week announced their, their coverage schedule. And uh, it's pretty robust. So I, I know you're looking forward to, to seeing where they're going to send you, uh, how many times you get to, uh, you know, run, run all, all over the, uh, the Southeast, especially what with the ACC network and, and SEC network. Um, but we're, uh, we're going to be looking forward to, to seeing all of that on our TV screens uh, here to come, uh, you know, in the, over the next several months, I guess. Yeah, and I would tell you guys that I've told many people this. When I first started at ESPN, which was 2009, just getting to do a couple of games here and there, you know, it was just kind of like something to do because most of those people, the production people, they do football and basketball and they're, you know, they're pretty well gassed by the time baseball season gets here. But now, man, it's amazing. You know, like football and basketball have always had this kickoff seminar and now we have one in baseball, you know, and, and I would have never guessed that 10, 11 years ago in the NCAA tournament. It's, it's really something ESPN takes a lot of pride in and, it's been, I mean, it's super fun, man. Just getting to cover the game and where it's gone, it's been an absolute blast. You're certainly uh, preaching the choir a little bit here with that. I mean, Teddy and I have had the conversation in the past, in past episodes of the show where, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, back in the Stone Age of, you know, you were, you know, you were pretty fortunate to get, you know, games from one or two regionals on, you know, on on television, and then, you know, the supers obviously were televised, but you were like you know, scrounging in the postseason for some audio stream from local radio or a game tracker, if nothing else. And just the fact that we've gone from that not so long ago to what we have now is just absolutely unbelievable. If you would have told, you know, the high school version of me who was doing that and scrounging for audio <laughs> regional games, if you would have told me we're, we'd be where we are now, I don't, I don't know that I would have believed you. Gosh, I go back to the days of Sunday night. ESPN college baseball. So I'm with you, Joe. It's, it's, um, yeah. And again, I just, the, the, it, it, what pleases me the most is just ESPN's attitude towards college baseball and they love it. I mean, the, the production people are excited to do it. Omaha is, is one of the most coveted gigs at ESPN. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't see any slowdown to that. It's really, really been awesome. So runes the, uh, Opening weekend is coming to your backyard in Arizona with uh, the MLB Four tournament with Vanderbilt and, and Michigan. We've got uh, the Angels have a tournament that features uh, you know Oregon and, and Minnesota and Oregon State has their annual tournament and surprise Arizona State's home that weekend. Grand Canyon's home that weekend. Have you started mapping out uh, your opening weekend? Yes. Yeah, so actually, I have a lot of like local coverage. So I'll have Oklahoma State at Grand Canyon on Friday night, which is cool. Grand Canyon, now that stadium, if you guys haven't been there, 
it's almost like somebody stole an SEC stadium and dropped it in the middle of West Phoenix. It's unbelievable. With the Grand Canyon Stadium, I mean, they don't do anything 50% at Grand Canyon, which is awesome, but their stadium is it's just gorgeous, and it's really big. I mean, it's shockingly big for a WAC program. And then the rest of the weekend, um, it's just streaming games. I think it's on MLB Network, but I have the rest of that MLB 4 tournament, so it'll be Vandy, Michigan, um, Cal Poly, and Connecticut, which I'm really excited to see, although disappointed because I know UConn has got some injuries um, that have cropped up. And then, you know, the, the one kid, the, the, who, the kid was going to be the best freshman in the Big West this year was Brooks Lee, Larry's son. And I, I remember actually learning about that injury, Teddy, on your guys' podcast when you interviewed Larry. Um, so, I mean, you know, hopefully he's back in April. I'd be disappointed not to see him. But Cal Poly is a very interesting team this year as well. Yeah, they definitely are. I just finished my Big West preview, and um, I wound up still picking Brooks as freshman of the year. So hopefully he is back in time. For I Big love West that. Play as the, uh, I guess they're expect that's the expectation right now. So hopefully he he continues to to make progress well from that knee injury he suffered this fall. It is unfortunate we won't get to see him on the the big stage this weekend. But I am excited that you're doing those games. Last year, the first year of that tournament, they didn't stream them at all. It was just the opening day games were on network, and then that was it. Um, but that, that's great that, that you're doing that. I know Jim Callis and Dan O'Dowd are coming in uh, to do the, the opening day games, and, and then uh, I guess you're, you're coming in, to, in, in relief of, of Callis and O'Dowd, which is uh, not bad, not, not a bad gig. Yeah, I don't have the front-end stuff that those guys do, Teddy, as you know, but I, I do like to refer to myself as a high-leverage reliever. question. <laughs> I guess the other big question of opening weekend is, have you figured out a tie schedule? Are you going with ties on, on opening weekend? This is a big decision opening uh, you know, when, when we're going into to bases loaded time is, is what your tie rotation is going to look like. Have you, you landed on a bucket hat or a tie rotation for opening weekend? Yeah, well, excellent question. I would tell you that um, the streaming games, that, uh, if we're streaming, we're going golf shirts, if we could be 100% honest. And then... For the TV game on Friday night, Grand Canyon is who's televising this. So there is a strong encouragement that my tie be some version of purple. So now whether I will give in to that or not, I definitely won't be wearing orange. That would be a good way to lose the gig. But um, I, I may give in and there may be a purple tie. Hashtag go Lopes. All right. So we're, we're going we're gonna to be excited to see. Uh, how that all shakes out there on opening weekend. Uh, we want to talk a little bigger uh, this week. We want to talk about all of our uh, crystal ball picks. Uh, you can find mine and Joe's online at baseballamerica.com or in the magazine. Runes, I assume yours are at Perfect Game up now, yes, maybe? Will be. Uh, we're just in the process of submitting them, so they will be. And, and I don't even know if these will match the ones I'm going to give you right now, so that's good. I'll get a couple whacks at it. There you go. <laughs> the, the, more, the, more, the, the more shots you take, the more darts that's, you throw, the right. more likely you are to hit. Good, strat yeah. good strategy, Runes. I, I yeah, see you working. <laughs> Who only buys one lottery ticket? I mean, come on, that's amateur hour. This is true. Um, our picks will match what you see in the magazine. So mostly I, because we have the magazine right here in front of us, like you might be able to. Hear. Um, this so is this is part of like being in legacy media is that you have like this hard copy thing that eventually like you can't change or whatever. It's just there. So, I mean, you can throw it away, but but it's still there. It's very on, inconvenient. So, yeah. yeah, you're stuck with it a little bit more. Um, so let's start with the big one. Let's start with the national championship pick. Uh, in our poll at Baseball America, Vanderbilt is number one, Louisville is number two, and that is who Joe and I went with. I went with the doors. Joe, you went with the cards. Uh, Runes, who are you going with uh, national championship-wise? I'm going to tell you guys, I have this vision. I have a dream that uh, I can't shake it. But what I think is going to happen is I have no science behind this. I think it's going to be Vanderbilt's going to be in the finals, and they're either going to play – this is where my dream gets blurry. They're either going to play ASU or UCLA, and um, the West Coast team is going to win the national title. So uh, because you guys are not asking for a dream, you're asking for an actual pick, <laughs> I'm going to go with UCLA. I think UCLA wins it all this year, going kind of off the radar here. 
uh, that is quite interesting. I uh, I like it. Um, you know, I, I I was very tempted to take ASU. I I really believe in this team. Um, you know, the power, the the infield defense. If you buy the pitching, and like I'm pretty close to buying it, like it, it's all there. I guess the concern I have is that none of these players have been past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So what's that going to look like? And, you know, on a big stage in Omaha, how does that hold up? How does some of the power numbers hold up in, in the big park there? Uh, so I wasn't, I, I couldn't quite bring myself to, to put the Sun Devils down. But, you know, UCLA, I mean, they, they've got a lot. And I know, Runes, one of your favorite theories is that the best team of a program doesn't win the national championship. It's the year after. And so I guess that would be the the case here with UCLA. Like last year was clearly their better overall team, but this one would be the one that, that could, uh, could emerge as, you know, a, a true title contender again. Yeah. And I, I think the thing with UCLA that's intriguing to me is their bullpen is really, it, it's just, you know, it's a borderline, maybe not even borderline. It's a, I would call it a dominant bullpen with, you know, there's older players, older pitchers there. Powell's got ridiculous stuff. So, you know, they, they've got just enough starting pitching. I think Nick Nostrini could be a guy that could be a breakout guy this year. He was so good at the end of the year. And I, I think what's interesting about UCLA is they have a very talented sophomore class. I remember a lot of people on the West Coast saying UCLA's freshman last year was really a special group. Now, of course, there just wasn't any place for them to play because of that older group that you referenced a second ago that were all those draft picks last year. And, you know, I, I, I just, I think that program, you know, they, they probably should have been in Omaha two or three more times since they won it all in 13. They just haven't broken through. So I think if they can break through, they become very dangerous because they're going to defend at a very high level. They can really, really pitch and they can really shorten a game. I think that's what's scary about playing them is if you're behind in the fourth or fifth inning, it gets really spooky really quickly. Yeah, UCLA is a team I'm interested to see as well for for a slightly different reason. I just feel like there are a lot of guys on their team, whether you're talking about uh, Matt McClain, who was one of the guys in that freshman class last year that you know had his struggles as a freshman, or a guy like Garrett Mitchell, who was outstanding last year. But for one reason or another, you know, probably just because he was on a team full of those draft picks we referenced. Um, I, I feel like UCLA's got a team of really talent, talented mystery men, for you know, for one reason or another. And so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see him with my own eyes a little bit to learn a little bit more about, okay, Garrett Mitchell's a guy that we have ranked really high in our draft rankings, probably going to be a first-round pick if he comes through with the type of season that he could have. Um, but I don't, someone like me who follows college baseball as closely as anybody, I don't feel like I really know him as a player that well. And then I want to see, you know, if Matt McClain can make a jump in year two. Nick Nostrini, has, has shown flashes now, but what does he look like as a full-time starter in the rotation? So I think all of those things can be answered in the affirmative, but I really do feel like there are a lot of, not questions from the standpoint of being unsure about it, just questions for me of, of trying to figure out who this UCLA team is. Agree, and I'll tell you, I think there's a, I think there's a scenario where both of them are top eight seeds because I, there's a lot of resetting on the West Coast right now, and especially the Pac-12. I mean, I think they had four coaching changes not to mention a ton of assistant changes. So if you assume that those things don't turn the worm right away in year one, I, I think there's a lot of wins to be had in conference for UCLA and ASU. And, you know, and obviously that's what it's going to take if both of them are going to be top eight seeds. So, Joe, you picked Louisville. We've talked about Louisville on the program before, uh, but not in reference to you thinking that this is the year that Dan McDonald breaks through and wins a national title. So what is it about this team that, that has you ready to say that they're dogpiling in Omaha this year? Yeah, I mean, for one, it's just, you get enough cracks of the pinata, you're eventually going to get candy, you know, and like they just keep getting there. And last is that year, a Texas thing? I, I just kind of made it up off the top of my head. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real honest. That was straight so off the top. Can you repeat that? I'm currently writing that down. That was tremendous. If you get enough cracks of the pinata, eventually you're going to hit candy. Thank you. I think that's what that. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little <laughs> full baseball for you. Get another crack at the pinata. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've just, they've been in Omaha time and time again. Last year they got further. I mean, there hadn't been a lot of success in Omaha for that program, frankly, but last year they got further than they had before. And look, you're going to tell me, you know, Reed Detmers and, and Bobby Miller, a guy pumping nearly a hundred mile an hour gas at you. 
uh, in addition to the guys they have back in the bullpen. And and one thing that Dan McDonald and his staff do really, really extraordinarily well is find guys who maybe don't play very much as a freshman or a sophomore, and then you look up and they're juniors or seniors, and they're just awesome. And, you know, that that's something I think that I personally don't do a good job accounting for with this program in the past. I've made the mistake of going, gosh, look at all they lose, and wondering how they're ever going to replace that production. And you look up in April, and it's like, oh, okay, they, they figured it out again. So I think that I just have a lot of trust in them being able to do that. And again, that starting rotation has a chance. We talk about all these SEC rotations that are understandably getting a lot of this buzz, but I think Louisville's is right there with them. Rudin, so you guys have Louisville number one. Um, what, what do you think of, of the cards this year? Yeah, I think Joe nailed it. I mean, there are question marks. I mean, they lost really good players. I think, you know, Justin Levy going to shortstop. I just, in my mind, you know, our, our friend Chris Burke, who lives in Louisville, he assures me that Justin Levy can play shortstop. I just, I, I picture him as a very physical kid, so I'm going to have a tough time, um, you know, visualizing that. But, and of course, taking over for Fitzgerald, who was really good there. But, you know, the pitching is ridiculous, like Joe mentioned. They've got bullpen strength. If Jaron Poland makes a jump, they've got dominant arms, left-handed and right-handed in that bullpen. It's an older position player group, um, you know, I, I, and I, I think Joe nailed something else in that, you know, making that breakthrough in Omaha last year, I think that's a really big deal for them as a program. I think that was starting to become a little bit of a mental hurdle. And um, now that that's behind them, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of time. I mean, I, I just, it would shock me if Dan McDonald doesn't win a national title in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think I think that's right, and we'll see we'll see exactly when that happens. This team has the talent to make it happen, especially on the mound. I'm also very curious to see what the Justin Levy shortstop experience looks like, um, and th- there is some offensive question marks. They weren't a power hitting team last year. That's not really their style, uh, but they're not going to be again this year. So can they? continue to produce enough runs and that offense is clearly built to work that way, but they're going to need those junior college outfielders to, to produce right away to have that kind of motion offense that they love. So we'll, we'll be getting a good look at them right away though, when they go down to Ole Miss. So we'll, we'll see what, what the Cardinals have to, to show this year, um, you know, right from the get go. All right. So let's move on to, uh, to our sleeper runes. I, I didn't tell you this definition before, but, for Baseball America, this means you're outside the top 25. If you pick a team in the top 25, that's fine. But uh, so for me and Joe, that means a team we had to pick a team outside of the top 25. I went with Coastal as an Omaha sleeper, and, and Joe went with the Horn Frogs. Uh, Runes, who, who's uh, who's your sleeper? I went. I, I like it. I went deep sleeper. I'll tell you the team after doing some conference previews. The team I can't get out of my mind right now is San Diego State. Now, unfortunately. They're probably going to have to go through UCLA. I mean, that's the way it has worked forever and ever. But, I'm, I'm, you know, they've been to a bunch of regionals. This is – they think it's the most talented team they've had. Casey Schmidt is a real star player who's a two-way guy. I think they've got rotation depth, a really interesting position player group with some size, too. I mean, they've got a little bit – you know, they've got Matt Ruddick, who's just a little left-handed West Coast ball player, but – They've got some size and physicality. They've done a really nice job in recruiting. So San Diego State, they're going to break through eventually. If some by some act of God they could not be stuck in a West Coast regional, they're very intriguing to me. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the route for them to not go to either UCLA or Arizona State is this year, because uh, that really feels like a lock that they'll be in one of those two places. Um I, I don't know how they get around it this year, but I do really like that team. I mean, minimally, I would say that they could do what Fresno did last year, you know, when they, they pushed Stanford to the brink in a regional. Uh, you know, I, I think that even if they do get stuck going to, to UCLA or ASU, that, that they could be similarly tough. Uh, Casey Schmidt is, a, is an absolute star. I, I really like this pick. And uh, I mean, Mark Martinez, such a good coach out there, does, does just such an amazing job. Uh, and has really, um, you know, for for a really long time out there, both as Tony Gwynn's assistant and now now as the head guy. 
I know how this happens, Teddy. You sneak into the selection meeting room and steal the magnet that says San Diego State on it and then let them place the 63 teams and then slide it back in there at the last second and they'll end up at, like, I don't know, somewhere in the Northeast. <laughs> we're, ca- would... we're counting on you. Yeah, let's uh, just get me to Indy uh, that weekend and uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see what I can finagle out there. Now we need to come up with a different plan, though, because now, <laughs> now we've told them the plan. So... Uh, we got to come up with something else offline. Yeah, if uh, if any of the ads on the committee are listening, that is definitely not what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> no, not, Joe, you're, not over, you're, you're overthinking this. This is this is like when you tell when Coach Murphy used to yell across the diamond to our runner, steal, and the other team would say, "No way, that's the steal sign." And next thing you know, the runner goes. It's reverse psychology, <laughs> Joe. That's how we're doing it. <laughs> Call the ball. I like it. All right, Joe, you, uh, you went with TCU, a team that just got into regionals last year and then lost their ace, Nick Lodolo, um, and saw several transfers leave. So Horn Frogs resetting a little bit, but you like, you like what's on hand there in Fort Worth. Yeah, I think two things can be true, which is a phrase that we've said on this, this podcast quite a bit. But, you know, one of the reasons given for why they got in last year was, well, they dealt with a lot of injuries and maybe they're getting a little healthier. Now, you and I did not really buy that. Um, as a reason enough for them to be in. We did not think they should be in. But it is also, that is something that did happen. You know, they, they did deal with a lot of injuries last year. And so I think this team comes in, you know, they, they maybe tapped their depth a little bit more last year than they expected to. And I think that can really pay off in the year after when you do start to get healthy a little bit again. I, I think about guys like, you know, um, uh, Porter Brown, who was off to an outstanding start. And Jim Schlossnagel will tell you, he thought he was on the way to being like a you know Big 12 Freshman of the Year type campaign before he got sidetracked. So you're putting a guy like that back into the lineup, and then you're filling in the depth around him with guys that you know spend a little more time in lineup than you would have imagined. You know, they're also continue to recruit at a really high level. It was a, what was it a top five class you had him in the top five? I believe class? that's yeah. accurate. So you're talking about Riley Cornelio. You're talking about Jacob Metter. You know, Metter, a really advanced guy that doesn't have quite the plaudits that that Cornelio has coming into college baseball, but, you know, that they've got him projected in the rotation right now, and whereas Cornelio, maybe not so much. So um, I think it's just stacking talent on top of talent. I think it's a group that benefited from getting in last year. I mean, if they don't get in, you're talking about two years in a row at TCU not getting into a regional. That would have been tough to swallow. So I think this group maybe getting in in a year when they didn't really necessarily expect to can be a little bit of a springboard going into 2020. And, and hey, if we're, I mean, if we're talking about sleepers, you're betting on projection. And I'm going to go with the team that, you know, maybe got people's feet wet last year in, in roles they weren't quite ready for. And then you're going to stack a top recruiting class on top of it. I'll go ahead and take a flyer on that. Runes, what do you got on the Frogs? Yeah, I love that pick. It's You know what? I The way I'm thinking of TCU right now is I feel like they, they got scorched in the draft pretty good coming out of that fourth straight Omaha um, time period. And I, the way I look at this roster is I think this talent level is is equitable to those teams that went to Omaha. The difference is we just don't know these players yet. You know, I, I think Porter Brown's a great example. Jacob Metter's a great example. They've got some really good Juco arms. You know, they were uncharacteristically bad defensively last year. It sounds like they've got that under control. Um, and and, and it, there, there will, it will be an old team, even though it's a lot of new faces. It's, you know, there's junior college players. I, I think this is a really good pick. I think, um, I think TCU is, is back to being as talented as we're used to them being. Yeah, it's uh, I, I've talked a lot about the idea that just getting that regional experience is important. And at a place like TCU that made Omaha four straight years, that maybe is a little less true. But there's still a lot of guys in that program that you know wouldn't have had that experience otherwise. So, I mean, that that's big. And the Big 12 this year looks reasonably open. I think everyone agrees that Tech is the favorite, but, you know... I, Beyond them, I don't know how much agreement there is on, on or or separation there is between you know Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, Baylor, th- those teams that I mean that could line up in any way. And if TCU hits on it pretty well, I mean there's a chance that that they end up hosting. And um, you know obviously that they they play really well at home, and that that was a big part of the those Omaha trips is just being able to have. Home regionals, home super regionals. So, if that if that comes to fruition again, that would be uh, that that would be pretty significant. And I could see how that would that would all come together. 
So I went with the Shants uh, at, at Coastal. Um, they, I, at one point this this uh, fall winter period, I looked back at my eight for Omaha and discovered I put Coastal Carolina in a super regional last year in June. And I, uh, I was really trying to get back into that headspace I had at the end of June. And uh, I was I was struggling a little bit to understand what made me say that at the time. <laughs> That's not to say that I don't believe in this team. I just, I don't remember what I was thinking at the time. I like your honesty. I love that. But if the pitching comes together, there is a ton of talent on the mound. We're talking about like Zach McCambly. Uh, has a huge arm, and, and they have up and down the staff. There are guys like that that have it in them that didn't quite put it all together last year. They still had a really good year a year ago. They didn't quite put it all together. Uh, it's still a really strong lineup. I mean, I think the talent level is all there. And, I mean, look, Coastal Carolina, I, I feel like you can't go wrong betting on them right now. That like That's just a program that we trust to – uh, be really good in any given year, and some years they're going to hit their stride at the right time in May and carry that into the tournament. And once those guys have momentum, they're, they've been, you know, we've seen it several times, not just in 2016, that when th- those teams believe in themselves, they really get going and, and, and carry a long way uh, into June. Now, throwing a wrench into this right now is Gary Gilmore's health status. Um, Coastal about a week ago now announced that um, you know, he uh, he's facing a bit of a health scare, um, potential liver cancer. Um, they're they're doing more tests. We'll we'll see where that goes. We're all thinking of of Gilly. He's one of uh, the great guys in college baseball. Everyone in the in the college baseball community really. I, I think really likes Gilly. I, I could be wrong. I don't know, but uh, he, he coaches very much respect what he's done there in Conway. No and so if we'll see where that situation goes, that that does potentially complicate matters. But in terms of on-field talent, I think the the shots are are loaded again this season and, and ready to roll. I would back you up, Teddy, in that. You know, the one thing that gives me pause about Coastal is. It sounds like Parker Shavers is not 100% healthy. His shoulder's a little banged up. I, I could be wrong on that, but obviously he's key. I mean, he's a national caliber player. But the thing I like is that the, these older guys you referenced that are really super talented, that's kind of like the group that seemingly came in, you know, on the, you know, the we're, that's the group they got when they were national champions, you know. And maybe it's a little different player than we're used to seeing at at Coastal. It's a more high-profile, high-talent player. But this freshman class seems really interesting. Like, that's the old-school Coastal player. So I'm with you. I mean, you know, if if Shavers is healthy and everything breaks right, that's a really – I mean, I would argue it's definitely the most talented, the most viable roster in the Sun Belt right now, and that's a really good league. Yeah, I love Parker Shavers. So, you know, getting him right is going to be important. Um, you know, that's a preseason All-American kind of player. That's a guy with a ton of pedigree and that's going to go good in the draft this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's there for them to do. Now we'll, we'll see if they, uh, you know, again, it, them, Dallas Baptist, you know, San Diego State, you know, some of these teams around the country like that have established themselves as like this baseline is they're a regional team. And then what is it beyond that? And now Coastal's a little ahead of, of San Diego State and DBU, obviously, because of what happened in 2016 and in 2010. And, uh, but you know, the baseline there is a regional. And then if they usually have enough that if everything clicks, they can go past that. And I guess that, that's what I'm saying that this Coastal team is, is a team that could go past the baseline that is best team in a really good mid-major league and you know make a regional. The, the, this team can can have some some staying power in June. So we'll see how that all uh, how all that shakes out. The, these are sleepers for a reason, though. So when uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Joe got a really good sleeper last year in Georgia Tech. That, that was probably one of the better ones that, that I've ever seen. But we'll, we'll see if any of us can hit that hard uh, th- this year. Uh, well done, so let's, Joe. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I, you. I mean, uh, Joe, was, Joe was on the jackets early. That's right. <laughs> I like it. 
Uh, so let's move on to player of the year. Um, this one, uh, there's some really strong contenders around the country, I feel like. Uh, Joe and I went very basic, though. I went with Spencer Torkelson. Joe, you went with Austin Martin and Runes. Uh, who is your player of the year pick? Yeah, I think if it's a position player, you, you basically have to pick one of those two. I would pick Torkelson just because um, I, I think the lineup is so dynamic and he's going to have a lot of opportunities. But it really it's almost like between the two of them, you're just picking what style of player you prefer. I just think they're both absolute game changing players. Yeah, I think with with my Martin pick, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he's now they are both you know, well-known players. However, you know, Torkelson was, um, had such a big year as a freshman and backed that up with a sophomore season like he had and has kind of been in the pole position for, you know, top overall pick or at least the best top college bat uh, for so long now. I think there's an opportunity for Austin Martin if he has, now this is a big if, but if he has a J.J. Bladé-like jump from a power perspective or if he just goes nuts uh, you know, stealing bases, or if he hits, you know, 430 this year or something like that. Uh, meanwhile, playing shortstop and center field and third base and maybe some second base and, and whatever else, I think there's an opportunity for kind of the college baseball world to have their eyes open to just how dynamic a player Austin Martin is. I think folks who follow it know him, especially if you, you know, watch in the College World Series and what have you, but he just hasn't had quite maybe the moment that Torkelson had where from minute one, he was just awesome. And so sometimes I think that kind of stuff, when you're talking about player of the year voting, ends up kind of mattering that Martin does something different. Whereas a Torkelson, I say, I'm going to say just, you know, with air quotes around it. But if he just hits 23 home runs again and hits 350 or whatever, we've seen that twice before. Whereas if Austin Martin comes out and hits 18, 19, 20 home runs, now he's showing us something a little bit different. So admittedly, the pick is not necessarily that I that I don't that I believe him more over Torkelson. It's just like if he has that kind of year, I think he's maybe uh, the pick for it versus Torkelson doing what he's already done. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably something to that. I mean, we certainly see that in the Heisman race. I don't know if um, Golden Spikes we can say quite so similar things about, but like it, I, I certainly see where that's coming from. I think the different thing Torque could do this year is would be to hit 30 home runs and do something that no one since Chris Bryant has done. That's a big ask. I get it. Uh, but he also is poised to become Arizona State's career home runs leader, which should get him a fair amount of play given who's come through there. And, um, you know, it, it's he has a chance to have a, a pretty monster career. Ultimately, uh, it's been an outstanding career to begin with. But if, if he if he hits that next stage, um, you know, if he, if he is able to hit 30 home runs or uh, gets a a ton of play out of the the Arizona State record that would be that would be something significant that that would reassert him probably in in people's minds and also would be significant on draft boards that and I mean there are people that that are going to you know if, if one of those two establishes themselves as the number one overall pick like clearly um, I that that'll definitely be a, a big feather in their cap um, going going towards um, the the voting as well um, Runes you get to see Torque on a more regular basis than we do out there. What what have you seen from him that that impresses you the most? I mean, I, the consistency, the, the power, what, what is it about him as a, as a player? Well, I mean, I'd say a couple things that jump out are he's a freakish athlete. I mean, he looks like a, you know, if he had played running back in high school, and maybe he did, I, he could have had 10 billion yards. You know, like he's physical and strong, and, you know, he, he almost bounces. He's, he's not a base clog at all. And I just think his his strength is, you know, not even human, but he, his, he's got the maturity. I'll never forget his freshman year. They're playing Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State, I think it was Carson Teal, had a very, you know, mature lefty on the mound, and Torkelson's leading off an inning. It's a 3-1 count, and Teal throws him, you know, a, a change-up kind of middle away, and, you know, Torkelson's a true freshman at this time. We're not even in conference play. And he destroys this ball to right center field. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, seniors don't do stuff like that. You know, like, and after the game, he's interviewed and he's thinking, well, you know, I, I knew that he didn't want to walk me because I was leading off an inning. So I was looking for something soft away. And, and I'm just like, okay, just stop talking. Like, you're clearly faked your ID. You're not a freshman. I mean, no freshman would ever say that, right? And so I just think that's what's amazing is he's, his, his, 
feel for the game, I think, is at a very high level. And I, I just it's really fun to watch, too, because you can watch the pitching coach in the other dugout looking like they want to actually quit the profession because it's like, do I go away? And then he hits a bomb off the right field foul pole. And then you see the, you know, of course, big, strong guy. Everybody wants to pound him in. And then he'll get fisted and run a ball out to left field. I've seen that many times. So, you know, I just, I think it's just a perfect storm. Great kid, very mature, um, competitive, but doesn't let that competitiveness um, become problematic. And, you know, just freakishly gifted from an athletic and from a, a hitting standpoint. Yeah, I uh, I love watching him play. It's it's just so much fun, and he can do so many amazing things with the bat in his hands. That um, it, it it's something that that I think a lot of people understand. But um, you know, hopefully th- this spring he can uh, get a, a even bigger platform because Arizona State his first two years hasn't been as prominent in the national discussion. Obviously, last year's start kind of catapulted them into it for a while, but. This year, if they uh, if they can make a sustained run, I think more people are going to have more eyes on him, uh, at least as much as the Pac-12 network allows. Had to get the Pac-12 network dig in there, you know. Although, shouts to Eric Burns for his home run call on that, uh, on, on yes. one Forkelson home run. I Like, only Eric Burns could, could say, uh, what happened to the ball? It went to Narnia, like, on, on TV. And it, and it worked. It was amazing. It did work. That was amazing. All right, so uh, pitcher of the year now. Uh, a lot of options for this as well. I went with Kumar Rocker. Joe went with Emerson Hancock. Runes, uh, where, where are you going pitcher of the year? Yeah, I'm going Hancock, although, gosh, there are so many choices here. But for me, the thing about Hancock reminds me of Casey Mize in this regard, that, you know, they're built a little bit differently. But, you know, both of those kids are kind of, they're, they're basically strike throwers. You know, that's what's natural for them is to be in the strike zone. It just so happens that everything they throw is like a quadruple plus pitch. And, you know, of course, I saw Hancock against Tennessee last year and it was insanity. I mean, up to 97, a slider from Hades. I mean, it was in, insane that night. But I, I think that's what, what I'm, I'm, I can't get past with Hancock is the stuff is extreme. But he's just a strike door, and and, and I, I if he's healthy and makes every start, I, you know I think he could have just a ridiculously dominant season. Yeah, I don't know that uh, you know people really maybe fully appreciate what Hancock did in SEC play last year. The numbers overall were good, but in the SEC, a 169 ERA and held SEC hitters to a 157 average. You just you don't see you're kind of used to seeing in the SEC hitters and pitchers alike, you know. Their overall stats are one thing, and then their SEC stats are maybe a little bit of a step back from that, just because the level of competition is so good. But he actually went the other direction, where he just dominated SEC opponents. So um, I, I, I saw him early in the year, and it was against overmatched competition, yes. But I've told Teddy before about how, you know, sometimes when you're you're in a ballpark and a pitcher's got it going, there's just kind of like a no-hitter energy in the park. Um, and he was never going to do that on this day. It was a cold day in Athens, second weekend of the season. He was never going to be allowed to throw nine innings that day. He gave up a hit in the, I think it was the sixth or seventh inning, so it made Scott Strickland's life a little bit easier to go ahead and pull him. But um, there was definitely that kind of buzz in the stadium that day. And it, you know, so admittedly, this pick, it, while I think it's a perfectly defensible, solid pick, I mean, clearly Runes goes that way too, there's an emotional component to this too because it, you know, it that outing really made me, feel something and that sounds like i'm making a joke or being (laughs) and maybe i am but like it really did make me feel something that day like you i just i haven't seen a lot of pitching outings that made me made me feel the way that one did so there's a little bit of emotional component here too i mean there's a reason why he's one of the contenders to be the the top pick in this year's draft too that if it's not if it's not Torque or Martin, it may well be Hancock. And, you know, I mean, he's got premium stuff. And, and like Runes was saying, the, the control is is exceptional. And, I mean, he's he's amazing. And I, I love that that Mize comparison. I mean, it's not a true – like, that that's – it's not who he is, obviously. The, the pitch is a little different and, and the body's a little different. But, like, you're right, Runes, that, like, the – the, the strike throwing is is what's primary with them. And then, oh, by the way, they also throw gas and, and premium secondary stuff. So I Georgia's got a really good one. He's going to be really hard to beat. Any any given Friday or Thursday in the SEC, Hancock is going to be, be must-see stuff. 
And then uh, you get a break and you get Cole Wilcox the next day. Yeah. <laughs> you, can take, you can take a breather. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, if you have slow bat speed, that league's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough outing. That whole, no that'll be 10, 10 tough weekends. Yeah, it's uh, it's no coincidence that we all went with SEC arms here. I went with Kumar, of course. Um, premium stuff. We all saw what he did on the big stage. You know, can he repeat what he did in the NCAA tournament when he went 4-0-096? Probably not. Uh, I mean, let, let's let's just be honest here. But at the same time, maybe he can. Like, I don't want to put that past him. And over a full season of, of Kumar Rocker pitching like he did down the stretch, not just during the, the tournament, uh, but if you take it back into May, in the latter half of April, he was really, really good, much better than he was at the start of the season. And he's had an offseason now, and uh, you know, he spent time getting in better shape. And you know, he's, he's thinking about the game in a, an advanced way. Uh, he he told me about um, you know just the mental component and, and how much Vanderbilt has helped him. Scott Brown and, and Tim Corbin have helped him uh, enhance that part of his game. And um, I'm really excited to see the sophomore version of of Kumar Rocker, and I, I think it's going to be really really special. Um, I that dude at the front of the rotation for the Commodores is a huge part of the reason why I think they're winning the national title and, and why we have them number one. So. I am I am all in on Kumar Rocker, and if you want to read more about Kumar Rocker, uh, there's a, a story at baseballamerica.com, or you can find it in the magazine as well. That uh, kind of is looking at what Kumar is going to do for Act Two. We we all saw Act One; it was impressive. It was more than impressive. It, it lived up to all the hype that he came into college with. Well, okay, so now what is what does Year Two look like for Kumar Rocker? And I'm very excited to see what that looks like starting. Uh, this weekend uh, out in Arizona. Now, about Kumar, um, he became most famous, or the most famous player in the country when he threw that no-hitter uh, in Super Regionals, first no-hitter in Super Regionals history. And, and Runes, you were calling that game. Um, so what what did you, when did you realize that, that something special was happening or going to happen that night? And have you seen anyone do something like that before? Yeah, that was unbelievable, right? Like it was, so first of all, my partner that weekend was Rich Waltz, who's a great guy, used to do the Marlins. And so, you know, played college baseball at UC Davis, but his career has been major league broadcasting. And whenever I have a partner like that, I always make it my personal crusade to sell them on college baseball, which probably I need to tone that down a little bit, but I catch myself doing that. So you know, I, I'm I'm all geeked up to sell Rich on on college baseball, and you know, and, and he's an awesome guy, and and um, you know, Vandy's obviously the ticket, and then that Friday night, or uh, you know, or the game one, Duke just throttles Vandy, and I can see Rich looking at me like, hey, uh, like you said, Vandy was good, right? Like what 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 happened here? And I mean, Duke just ran him off the field, and um. And I'm telling you guys, for game two, it was as tight as a drum in Nashville. The fans were tight. You know, it, it just there was just a bad vibe coming off of Vandy. And I'm sitting there thinking, they're giving the ball to a true freshman right now with all of this pressure. Like, this is not an ideal formula. And, I mean, and the truth is, Vandy's position players didn't play awesome that night. Now, a lot of that had to do with Bryce Jarvis was just tremendous. But I just, I've never, I know I've never been to a game with that much swing and miss. I mean, the Duke hitters, you would have thought Kumar Rocker's breaking ball cannot be seen by human eyes. I mean, we asked Scott Brown, hey, did you count the swing and miss? And he said, I quit counting at 45. You know, like it was just unbelievable how many swing and misses he generated with that breaking ball. Um, You know, and so we're thinking most of the game, like, hey, this kid's just, going to let Vanderbilt's position players get their breath back on, inside of them and, and figure this out. And I think they won two to nothing. But, you know, really what we saw that night was history. I mean, that's one of the great pitching performances in the history of college baseball for a true freshman to do that with, you know, again, that's one of the great seasons, it, certainly the best season in SEC history, I would argue. And and it was on the line that night. And, and um, I, don't, I don't know, guys, it, it was it was incredible. I mean, it was just historic is the only word I can think of. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely special. Uh, you know, the, the, the stage made it all the more special, but the, the 19 strikeouts were, or was, was just ludicrous basically. I mean, he yeah. was, 
he was nasty that night. Um, just, just unbelievable. Um, so Runes, your, your super regional luck is, is pretty good in terms of this stuff. You, you were, you were there, uh, last year in Nashville for that. And then a couple of years before that, you were in Louisville when Sam Cohen hit the walk-off that sent UC Santa Barbara, uh, to Omaha for the first time or to, to, cho- to turn the city into Chomaha, uh, as it turned out, um, what are those the best games moments you've called with ESPN or, or in your broadcasting career? Or are there other ones that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, those are the two best ones. I mean, I'll never forget. I had Oregon State Super Regional when they faced Vandy. And, and just watching that incredible group of position players for Oregon State um, take down Kyle Wright. And, you know, Kyle Wright's a big leaguer and he was awesome. But it was like watching a pack of Wolverines just take down a an elephant or something, you know, it was just, they were unbelievable uh, in, in beating him. But the, the Santa Barbara thing was just, I'll never forget this guy. So Santa Barbara wins the Nashville regional and Louisville that year had seven players taken in the first 115 picks, seven dudes. I mean, that's unheard of really. And, you know, you're talking about like, I pulled up one of the box scores, Corey Ray's leading off, Will Smith's hitting second, Nick Solak's hitting third. Brendan McKay's hitting fourth. And what was, we, you know, and, and Santa Barbara, that shouldn't have been the Santa Barbara team, right? The 2015 Santa Barbara team was the one that hosted a regional at Lake Elsinore and had 10 kids drafted. And so, but the first game, Shane Bieber, we just, we, we, we thought he was a good college pitcher. We didn't know he was a future big leaguer. So he, he was just really good that first night. And, and he beat Louisville, which was, um, you know, kind of shocking, but you know, if you follow West coast baseball enough, he just, he just West coasted them, right? Just like painting down and away first time through the order, Louisville adjusts, then he starts painting down and then, then he goes, you know, it's like, they just chased him the whole game. So now it's getting interesting, but game two, the game you're referring to Drew Harrington, who was a really fiery left-hander for Louisville, he dominated Santa Barbara. I mean, just embarrassed them. 12 strikeouts, eight innings. And then they're going to give the ball to Zach Birdie, who was also a first round pick. And it was just the most, un, you, you just, you couldn't even believe it as it's unfolding. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, they get, I think they had two outs and somebody hits a 72 hopper up the middle. Then Birdie walks a guy, then Birdie hits a guy. And it, it was, you know, the, the crowd had been going nuts the whole game. And, you know, if Louisville wins that game, there's no way Santa Barbara's winning that super regional. And then, you know, it, it, it's I'll never forget Sam Cohen comes up. And if you listen, I've, I've watched the tape many times because it gets played a lot. And, and I sheepishly said to Mike Morgan and I so I don't even deserve credit for this because I said it with like zero conviction. But I said, I guess walk off is in play. And, you know, it's Sam Cohen's 27th at bat. And then they they get him to two strikes and threw that change up down and in and just kind of golfs it. And and the thing I'll never forget about that, guys, is the stadium, which had been just, you know, insane all day, went quiet as a church. And the only thing you could hear was you could hear the Santa Barbara kids and their spackling of fans going nuts. It, It was it was surreal. That's the only word I can think of. It was surreal. And it, Mike Morgan did an unbelievable job on the call. I mean, he just crushed it. Because in your mind, you're thinking, wait a second, is this game over? And secondly, does that mean Santa Barbara's going to Omaha? Like, you just, you're, you're trying to process these things you can't believe are real. It, it was, that was really cool. I mean, not cool for Louisville, but, man, that was really cool to see that. You bring up a, a great point there at the end because I, I had a similar feel. I remember watching that game. I actually remember exactly where I was sitting as I was watching that unfold. And I, it, it was a moment where that ball goes out and you're like, well, wait a minute. Because you had been, you know, I'd been mentally kind of preparing for like, okay, Louisville's going to win this game. They're going to go to a game three. And, you know, like you, I thought, okay, that, that's probably it. And then all of a sudden, here we go turning on a dime. And uh, I was thinking as we were getting ready for the podcast and, and Teddy mentioned bringing this up to you, I, I was trying to think of moments, you know, what makes that moment so great? And I, I, I kind of, 
the example that I have from from covering a game is there was a kid at, at Baylor a couple of years ago named Tucker Cascadden who I think actually works like as a videographer. It's a photographer. Photographer in the athletic department now. But uh, he played shortstop for him. By all accounts, just a light-hitting shortstop. He hit one home run in his entire Baylor career, two-year career. The one home run happened to be a walk-off grand slam against Texas A&M in that tournament at Minute Maid Park. And it wasn't just a home run. It was a bomb, like just below the train tracks in left center field. And... I remember in that moment when he, after he hit that home run, I remember thinking that in no way, I could not even conceive of that happening. And I think that's what made that such a great moment is that when that happened, hitting a walk-off grand slam, that player hitting that grand slam in that moment had not once crossed my mind. And so, you know, you you talked a little bit about it, Runes, but I, I imagine when Sam Cohen steps to the plate, there is not a single ounce of you, except maybe the one that made the little flippant remark there that thinks like, that that's even in the realm of possibility. You might think maybe he works a walk because Birdie was clearly, you know, struggling with it a little bit. Or maybe he, you know, puts the ball in play and, and Louisville plays it tight and Santa Barbara scores a couple runs. But ultimately, home run was, I can't imagine, was ever in the realm of possibility in your mind. No, and I'll tell you, you know what's interesting is, is Cohen, it's his 27th at bat of the year. And I think it was like a 1-1 count. And, and, I, and the one thing that was in my mind is I'm thinking, man, how do you call pitches right now? Because Birdie is throwing a legit 100 miles an hour. And this kid's on his 27th at bat. I mean, there's no way he's catching up to a fastball, right? And so it's like a 1-1 count. And Roger Williams is calling pitches for Louisville. And Cohen fouls a fastball. Let's call it 97 miles an hour right back to the screen. And I'm thinking, man, if I'm Roger Williams... That is a piece of evidence I am not sure what to do with. Like, is this kid on the fastball? Are his eyes even open? Like, what just what just happened? And then, sure enough, they call a one-two changeup, and he golfs it out of there. I mean, it was. I mean, it's what makes the sport so great. It was. It was. Um, it, it was crazy. What what a what a moment! Really incredible. Well, one of the things, obviously, we're all looking forward to the tournament in May, but leading up to the tournament, one of the things I'm looking forward to this season is resuming my ongoing debate with Runes on Twitter about whether <laughs> pitchers are athletes or not. And uh, basically, that entails me waiting for a pitcher to make uh, an athletic play and then sending the clip to Runes and then him also sending me clips when athlete, or when uh, when pitchers fall over and, and make unathletic plays. Uh, it, it's It's great fun. Uh, so we can't have you on the podcast without bringing this, uh, you know, debate to a, a, a new audience or a broader audience. I don't know. Um, my contention is that they are athletes, and, and your belief is that they are not. And I guess we're we're just going to be at odds over this. But have uh, have I swayed you in any way since since I began this campaign? Well, I would say it this way, Teddy. If I'm ever in in the physical presence of a pitcher. I will take a hard line stance that the, the, these people are non-athletes. But if you're asking me to be more honest and reasonable, um, then I would tell you, like, yeah, like Mike Leake is a pitcher who is an unbelievable athlete. Like, we used to joke at Arizona State that he was the best shortstop on the team. He just happened to pitch. Um, I mean, incredible athlete. I never forget, I, as part of the, uh, the Hall of Fame, College Baseball Hall of Fame, one year I got to go because Mike Leake was going. And uh, Steven, we played golf with Steven Strasburg and holy heck, like uh, he was hitting a golf ball with what felt like 4,000 yards. It was, you know, obviously he's a freakish athlete. Um, but and, and you know, like we, it, it kind of begs the question, like, OK, if pitchers are non-athletes, how do they compare to other non-athletes, you know, like golfers? I don't know. Like today, like Dustin Johnson is a freak show athlete. So. I, I think I would classify pitchers as kind of like your punter kicker phylum. I think that's where I would put them. Um, now you always get the, and of course, Leak was a two-way player, so maybe I should I should rescind that statement. So, but I, I I'm I'm with you, Teddy. It gives me great joy to see a pitcher, you know, make an absolute fool of himself trying to make an athletic play in baseball. That uh, that gives me great joy. I, I and I encourage pitchers. Get out over your skis. Try to do things you're not capable of. Please consider yourselves athletes so that you think you can do those things. That makes my life richer. Hold, wait a minute. Hold on. We just Runes gave us that whole answer, and I stopped listening because Runes just flexed on us with, <laughs> I played golf with Steven Strasburg. 
Roos just came on our podcast and flexed on us and is like, no big deal. I played golf with Steven Strasburg. And Mike Rudy, by the way, barely even plays golf. I watched Steven Strasburg play golf, and I hit my ball forward a few times. That was was more spectator sport than it was participant, if I'm being fully honest. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. I, I don't I don't think I could play golf with big leaguers. Like how would like no. <laughs> like no I chance. remember seeing him and Leek on the driving range thinking, man, that's not that 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 that's different than what's happening in my little section here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll continue uh, throughout the season. We'll, we'll we'll see where this takes us. Uh, maybe I'll find another Nick Frasso video of, of him Hold throwing on. down. Um, He's killing me. That kid is <laughs> his dunks I mean, that's, are that, amazing. That's the single biggest piece of evidence in favor of pitchers being athletes. That I mean, if we yeah. were actually in a courtroom, that might have been like the last piece of evidence presented before. Yeah. He's going to get my case dismissed. He's a problem. I need him drafted <laughs> sooner than later. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think we can count on Nick Frasso getting drafted pretty good uh, this spring. Partially, in fact, because he is so athletic. And the video I'm referencing, for those that haven't seen it, um, during a rain delay, I think, in Cape Cod, um, you know, they went in a gym and there was a bathroom. There's a basketball that was there, and uh, Nick Frasso just started dunking. Because uh, that's what Nick Frasso does, apparently. Um, yeah. I've been told by by the LMU staff that like that no that that's that's a real thing that uh, he he does with with some regularity. Yeah, the video is damning. Well, let's just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Runes, you requested time uh, on the podcast to uh, I, your word was debate uh, Wawa versus Whataburger. Uh, and now Joe uh, has decided that he wants to throw sheets into this mix, which, which fouls the whole thing up. Uh, but Baroons, as a as a Philadelphian, Wawa holds a, a very dear place to your heart. And Joe, as a Texan, I, I believe the same is true of, of Whataburger. That's so, right. uh, I mean, they're not really the same thing, but, you know, Wawa is uh, is a lot of things. Whataburger is just a burger store. So. Oh, oh my God! Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to kick it off. I am living. <laughs> yeah, I would say this, Joe. So I've only had one experience for uh, at Waterburger. It was after a Notre Dame Texas football game. It may or may not have been three thirty in the morning, and it was not a great experience. And I would say that Wawa is another experience I've probably had at three thirty in the morning as a younger version of myself. But it's also Wawa's a version I can have at 12 noon or 2 in the afternoon. You know, we all know, I think it's common knowledge that Wawa is the Roy Hobbs of delicatessens, just happens to be attached to a convenience store. So I, 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 I want to, I, I want to, out of respect for you, I want to give Whataburger um, its due course. I want to give it, you know, another chance. But the, 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 the one outing was horrific in every way, shape and form. And I, I don't know how to reconcile that. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Runes. Like, let's put you back in the dugout. You're coaching again. You put a freshman out there. He's got, like, a high ceiling, but you're not really sure he's ready for the moment. And he gets shelled. Like, are you just not going to put him out there ever again? <laughs> well, if that shelling it resembles my Whataburger experience in any way, <laughs> then it, it is possible that that kid will be in the transfer portal. Okay, well, know. fair. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so... Like, you have to remember, this is ASU Pat Murphy era. Like that kid was definitely in the transfer portal, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was no portal, but we were making phone calls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would urge you. I mean, they they have they have Whataburger out in your neck of the woods. Um, do. Now, I don't I don't I don't want to date you, Runes, but what year was this last visit to Whataburger? Yeah, it was it was in the last decade. It wasn't that. It wasn't okay. thirty years okay. ago. Okay. Okay. Well, so I mean, I would urge you to give it another shot. Look, I, and I'm not. There are room, there is room, pardon me, there is room, it's a good thing I'm not a writer, there are room, <laughs> there is room, you know, for, for differing opinions on this. Like, I know Runes is, a, is an In-N-Out guy from a fast food standpoint. I think In-N-Out's good. I prefer Whataburger, it's just my, my opinion on that. Um, now, let me ask you this, Runes, have you been to a Bucky's down in Texas? I have not. Hey, and by oh. the way, before we, we lose this, I, I want to I have you place my next order at Whataburger. I think that... I would absolutely love to. <laughs> yeah, that needs to happen. But no, I've not been to Bucky's. What is Bucky's? So Bucky's is 
Bucky's is like a it's like a Wawa sheets situation. On, on absolute steroids. It's like if Target was a gas station. Yeah, that's right. So it's got, you know, it, it does hot food like like sheets and Wawa does. But in addition to it, they've got like they do they make their own beef jerky there. They've got like, you know, a dehydration situation where they, you know, actually take cuts of meat and dehydrate them and make their own jerky. They make kalachis. I don't know if you're familiar with with kalachis, but oh. you know, like a like a dinner roll stuffed with meat and cheese and all that's so like breakfast foods. They've got they've got those. They've got like a fudge counter. Uh, sometimes they have like a bakery counter that's making cinnamon rolls and cookies and stuff like that. It really is kind of like it's almost too big. It almost graduates from the classification of a place like a, like a Wawa or or a Sheets. But I still think it counts, and I just I think it's it's classic Texas. You know, every everything's bigger there, and certainly uh, Bucky's is perhaps the greatest example of that. So I don't know. Next time you're in you're in Texas, runes they're 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 on the the major interstates, typically just outside of the big cities. So there's one in 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 the Houston area, like kind of north of Houston, and there's one west of Houston. So you have to get out on the interstates a little bit, but uh, you know I think it's a it's an experience you feel as much as anything else. Like you walk in there and there's no, not anything quite like it. So we'll, we'll, well I, I'd say this, Joe, I'm happy to try Bucky's, but you continue, you, you keep, if I could correct you for a second, you keep using Wawa and sheets in the same sentence. That is, <laughs> let me give you a, the comparison. Wawa and sheets. Like when I was a kid growing up, air Jordans were like the deal. And then Brooks came out with something called the Dominique's that my dad purchased for me because they were probably one twelfth of the cost of Air Jordans. And they were pink and red and Dominique Wilkins was a great player. And they were just like seven shades of horrible. Um, whereas the Air Jordans are obviously like a, a generational, multi-generational shoe. So I just think we need to get some clarity around that. Like when sheets, that, that would be like me using Air Jordans and Brooks's Dominiques in the same sentence over and over again. I mean, th- this is... We're we're just we're 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 in different universes when we say Wawa and Sheets. I mean, Sheets is is um, I don't even know what to say. You know, they're 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 um, they that you should be using sentences like Sheets and Circle K, not Sheets <laughs> oh, and Wawa. Wow. Holy cow! <laughs> I mean, I don't want to offend any like I don't can, want any brands we can to be take shots. Oh my goodness! <laughs> there goes the podcast sponsor. Yeah! Wow! Holy cow! Well, uh, you know. Uh, uh, First of all, let me apologize because that was not my intention. <laughs> I feel like an apology might be in order here. That's not my intention. Uh, Sheets is, I did not have them in any place I've lived before. Now, we had, when I was in the Midwest, we had QT, which is Quick Trip. Yes. Um, it, I will admit it is not at a Wawa level um, or even a Sheets level. Um, they're pretty solid, though. So that's kind of my comparison, obviously, other than Bucky's. So uh, Sheets is kind of new to me. So it's kind of like that, a little bit of a new, shiny thing for me. I live right around the corner from one. And so I'm kind of enjoying the perks of that right now. So like maybe I'll come around to, okay, you know, once the new wears off a little bit, you know, maybe I won't feel quite, quite the same way. So, but you uh, guys don't have Wawa in the Carolinas, right? I don't think we, we do not. Um, there's, uh, there's some in Virginia and, uh, before the exit, when you're going South where the one is the, there's a huge billboard that says the last Wawa for however many miles is between it and the one in, uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale, which is, I don't know why they're not in the mid-Atlantic, past the mid-Atlantic, like why they're in Florida and Virginia and not in the states in between. Yeah, the the rarity makes it special, TC. I think that's part of the deal. And, and well, I mean, so I, I'm, I'm my girlfriend is is a Philadelphia native, and the first time I went to a Wawa uh, was with her, and I was given a tour. Uh, of all of the things of Wawa. So maybe Joe just needs maybe. to be properly introduced to Wawa. Maybe. Yeah, uh, consider that, Joe. I'm gonna put that on my bucket list. We're gonna get you properly introduced to Wawa. This is. Oh, I think we've really yeah. come up with I'll, something. I'll go to Whataburger and order your next your next meal there, and you can take me to Wawa. <laughs> give me a tour. <laughs> you might have to push me into Whataburger too, but that's that's all good. We'll make it happen. Well, Runes, uh, we're. Uh, I, I guess we've come to a detente here in the uh, Whataburger Sheets Wawa situation. Um, so we'll we'll leave it there for now. Uh, this is definitely something that, that we'll be addressing uh, throughout the rest of the year. And if Wawa and or Whataburger wants to move to Omaha, uh, open expansions there, it would make yes. our lives a lot 
easier because then we could just get this all done during the College World Series. That's but right. um, until until that happens, we, we just have to, to make do with uh, with what we have. Yes. And I appreciate the uh, invite today. This was a blast. I, I enjoy the podcast very much. And, and that was fun. Absolutely. We, we loved having you. And for uh, if, you're, if you're looking for Mike Rooney's work, like I said, it's uh, it, there's a lot of it. It's in some different places. Multimedia superstar Mike Rooney. <laughs> you can you can follow him Media at Mike, Mike underscore Rooney on Twitter, and uh, maybe there you'll you'll be able to get directed to these various places. He's he's usually pretty good about updating us about where he is, right? Yes, yes, no secrets. Yeah, so uh, you can check him out there. Uh, Joe is at Joe Healy BA. I'm at Ted Cahill. Uh, you can see all of our work at BaseballAmerica.com. And Runes told me earlier that um, his copy of Head of the Class, which is Baseball America's new college uh, baseball book, looking back the last four decades of college baseball, the best players, the best teams, the best everything, that Runes, his copy was arriving today. Yes. Uh, so if, you want to join, if you want to join Mike Rooney and, and get that book, you can go over to BaseballAmerica.com, and, and uh, it is available for order. Cannot wait. Fired up. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate Runes for coming on the podcast. We want I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, so for Joe, for Mike Rooney, I'm Teddy Cahill. Thank you guys. And we'll talk to you later this week uh, with an opening day podcast from Arizona. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.